Hello and welcome to Gloucester Vineyard Church's podcast. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the leaders of the church. Um, and this is the fourth and final installment in our little series on sex that we've been doing, a four-part series. Um, I'm recording it like this uh, because unfortunately um, there was some kind of a technical guff on the day and it just didn't record. So um, this is uh, the talk that I did a couple of weeks ago at our, our gathering. Um, and obviously there's, there's a couple of moments where we kind of have a bit of audience participation. So I'll kind of, I'll try and represent what people said in that moment, but um, uh, I hope this blesses you and uh, kind of hopefully kind of uh, finishes off the series nicely for you. So it's worth saying if you, uh, if you haven't listened to the other three talks in the series, it's definitely a good idea to go back and listen to those again. Um, They kind of like build upon one another. So uh, if you uh, if you haven't listened to those three, then please do kind of stop listening now, go back, listen to those three, and then get to this one, um, because a lot of the stuff we're going to say this week is built on the foundation of the previous three weeks. Um, and also, I'm just going to skip through a whole bunch of the caveats that we said at the beginning. And so all of those caveats that we said in the beginning of the other three talks still very much apply to this one. But for the sake of brevity, I'm just going to plow straight in. Um, so um, whenever I share my faith with somebody, um, I always try and start by finding the common ground that we share together. My experience has been that um, once you get talking, there's actually a whole load of stuff that I that, that you agree on. Like no matter who you're talking to, there's always loads of stuff that you agree on. Um, most of my people, my friends and people I've shared faith with recently, they all kind of agree on things like, you know, the world could be a better place and it should be a better place. Most of my friends would probably agree that that humans are inherently good, that nobody's born evil. It's kind of circumstances that kind of create bad people, um, that everybody has a chance, should get a chance to be redeemed. And that things like, you know, human rights are really important, that equality is really important, that justice is really important. You know, maybe I just hang out with really lovely people, but I've just found that most people I speak to... Um, No, we have more in common than not in common um, about the stuff that we already believe about life, the universe and everything. And personally, I would much rather start any conversation about faith from common ground than starting from the stuff that we disagree about. Um, But when it comes to what I want to talk about today, I don't find that this is a common ground at all. Like in, exper- in my experience, what culture tells us about the meaning and purpose of life, or worth saying, I've already kind of flagged that, that this week we're talking about the purpose of life, the meaning of life. And when I find that when I talk to my friends about the meaning and purpose of human life, what the Bible has to say on the subject and what culture say on the subject are wildly different. Um, let me just, so to illustrate my point, what I did was I asked those who gathered on that Sunday to chat with the people around them um, and to just answer this question. If you were to go to work or the playground or go and knock on your neighbour's door and ask them, what do you think the purpose of life is? What do you think the meaning of life is? Like, do human beings have a meaning and purpose? Are they designed with a meaning and purpose? And if they are, what is it? What would you, what do you think your friends would say is the meaning and purpose of life? And what we came back with was a whole bunch of things about, you know, um, trying to leave a legacy, trying to do good in the world, trying to be happy. Um, making babies was one that came up. Um, and so, yeah, we had a, a whole bunch of stuff like that. And I'm sure that if you think about your friends, that you'd kind of have some similar answers. And so as with every other talk in this series, um, we're going to be opening our Bibles to the book of Genesis and the story of Adam and Eve to form and inform our discussion. Um, and so we're going to be zooming in on the moment in the story when God creates humanity and speaks a blessing over them. Um, and if you've been here before, you'll know that uh, each gathering we end with a blessing. And it's kind of a little bit like that. 
So I'm going to read it out and then I'm going to ask, I asked everybody uh, to tell me what do we learn about the purpose of humanity from God's perspective? What does God say the purpose of humanity is? So this is uh, Genesis. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and all the small creatures that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and the animals that scurry along the ground. And so, again, I opened it up to the congregation that was there, and we had kind of um, some, some of the answers that were picked out was that we were called to reign, called to ru rule the world somehow. Um, again, I have lots of babies was one of them. Be fruitful and multiply. That was one of the things that got identified. Uh, but the, probably the biggest thing that was identified was the fact that God created Im, uh, human beings in his images, in his image to be his image bearers. Um, and so our Bibles kick off with this very clear statement, which frankly is absolutely nothing to do with what culture would say. So like culture says that, uh, you know, our, the purpose of human life is to have fun, enjoy yourself, leave a legacy, you know, be good. And those things are great. There's nothing wrong with those things. But our Bibles just have a very different answer to that question. Our Bibles would say that the purpose of of human life is to be God's image bearers, to bear God's image. And let's just like look at that idea for a little minute because it, it's like a really it's really strange language isn't it to bear God's image like what does that even mean you know that's not language that we use in everyday life to, ex to explore anything else so I just want to spend a little bit of time just kind of demystifying that idea and giving some slightly different language for um, thinking about that idea of being an image bearer uh, and then I want to talk about the implications so so what does it mean to be an image bearer well, for a, start, for a start, some people would say that I am an image bearer of my dad. You know, to a certain extent, uh, it has to do with that To It has to do with bearing a family resemblance so that when people see me, they think he looks like Jeremy. Um, it also really simply means exactly what it sounds like it means, that if the king walked into this room right now, we would all recognise him because we've seen his image all over the place on our money and on our TVs and stuff. Like, very few of us have ever actually met the king in person, but I doubt any of us would struggle to recognise him because we've seen so many things in the real world that bear his image. <clears throat> it also has to do with being a representative of someone. So you might think about a CEO of a company or a foreign ambassador going out into the world and representing that country or that company in the real world. Like an image bearer is supposed to speak for the person that they're imaging and almost act as an intermediary on their behalf in a far off land. Just like a salesperson goes out to sell the company and the company's story, that's the language about rulership. It's about say, it's, um, uh, saying that God is in charge, but he wants to rule through his image bearers in the world as ambassadors. So as you can probably tell from those th small three examples, this is a really deep and rich biblical image. There's so many ways that we can unpack the meaning of this. But to attempt to kind of summarise it, to be made in the image of God is to be an image bearer. And it means that we have the family resemblance, that we represent the family out in the world, that we have authority to speak and rule on behalf of the family, that we have a job to provide access to God as a direct line, and that we're supposed to show the world what God looks like, such that if he was to walk in the room, like the king walks in the room, that 
people would recognise him because they've met us. No pressure. Um, but there's one final angle that I want to highlight, which I think kind of ties them all together really nicely and gives us a kind of a nice, neat way of thinking about this. And that is that as God's image bearers, we are his storytellers. That God has a story that he is trying to tell in the world about why he made it, about how he made it to function, and about what's gone wrong and what he's done about it. And that the primary way he wants to tell that story is through us. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase that uh, you are the only Bible that someone will ever read. I think that's really true, that God wants people to encounter him through us, through the way that we live our lives. As followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be encountering God in a variety of ways. We're supposed to be allowing those encounters to form and shape who we are. And then we're simply supposed to go about our lives authentically based on the transformation which has occurred as a consequence. So this is not fake it till you make it. This is simply living out the impact that God has had in our day-to-day lives every day. You know, Jesus put it this way. He said, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? No, it will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Jesus also said, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Jesus is basically saying, hello, hi, have I made a difference in your life? Like, do you stand out now? Good. That's the point. Stand out. I want you to stand out more. I want you to shine more. I want you to be salt more. Go and make the world taste better by living out your transformation with authenticity. Don't hide it under a bowl. Don't shy away from your distinctiveness. You are my storytellers. Go and tell my story with your words. Go and tell my story with your actions. You know, Jesus had a really big problem with people who were telling one story with their words and were telling another story with their actions, particularly when it was people who claimed to have a faith. He would call people out all the time when he saw like religious people dressing up really nicely and looking really fancy and behaving really well on the outside, but actually being super greedy and judgy on the inside or being like really publicly giving their money to charity whilst living in ways which actually promoted injustice in the world and exploited the poor or layering heavy expectations on people about how they should behave and not really doing anything at all to support them. Jesus had a really big beef with people saying one thing and living another, especially when it comes to faith. Luckily for us, none of us ever struggle with that, do we? Luckily, none of us experience a gap between what we say we believe and what we do. Now, I personally live in one of those gaps week on week. I'm really aware of the unnecessary amount of meat that I consume on a weekly basis. And I'm aware of the impact that meat production has globally on developing nations. Like, I'm really convicted that the meat industry is one of the biggest drivers of climate change. And yet I still eat meat. I'm eating less and less as time goes by, but I still eat it. And I bet that each of us, if I gave us a minute to think about it, could identify a way that we're actually living in a gap between what we say we believe and how we actually live. And the fact of the matter is that Jesus was really hot on this. Like, Jesus had absolutely no time for that gap. I think if Jesus was here, he'd actually call bull on that gap. He'd say, I'll tell you what you believe by how you live. For the words that we say, if we say we believe something, they are completely meaningless unless we back it up with our actions. 
And I think Jesus was so hot on this because he understood that humans are designed to be image bearers and to be storytellers, that we will tell a story, whether we like it or not, whether we think about it or not, whether we're doing it deliberately or not, we will tell a story because it's what we're designed to do. Jesus understood that the purpose of humanity is to tell God's story to the world. And so when Jesus saw people telling a story with their lives, which was out of sync with what they claimed to believe, he had a problem with that. So if I say that I believe that God is full of mercy and yet I'm unwilling to forgive my brother, Jesus had a problem with that. You know, if I say that I believe that God is generous, but I'm really tight fisted with my cash, Jesus had a problem with that. You know, if I say I believe that God heals, but I don't frequently offer to pray for the people around me who are sick, I think Jesus would have a problem with that. Our Bibles would lead us into the conclusion that the purpose of humanity is to tell God's story with the ways we live our lives. Our Bibles would lead us to the conclusion that human beings are hardwired to be storytellers, that we do it without thinking, that whether we like it or not, our lives are telling a story about what we believe to be true in this world. And so the question really becomes, what story is my life telling and am I happy with that? And at this stage, I, we kind of took a little pause in the conversation and I asked the people in the room, like, what story would you like your life to tell? You know, when people think of us, what story would we like them to tell about what we think is true and good in the world? Like, I wonder, have you ever thought about that? Um, and we kind of then went back and forth and, and um, I, th- I don't think I asked for feedback this time, but folks just chatted about it in their groups. And I encourage you to have that little thought now. Like, if you could, uh, what, what story would you like your life to tell? What would you like your life to say about what you believe to be true in the world? And so what does all of this have to do with sex? Well, I would suggest a whole bunch because again, whether we like it or not, we are living in a world where our sexuality is part of our identity. When people look at us, they want to know a whole bunch of stuff about who we are, And one of those things is, how does this person function sexually? Are they single? Are they dating? Are they married or divorced? Are they polygamous? Are they celibate? Is that person seeking or settled? Are they cheating or faithful, curious, flirtatious, frustrated? Are they gay, straight, bi, queer? Are they open-minded or conservative? Are they old-fashioned? Are they laissez-faire? Like, whether we like it or not, our sexuality has probably never been more part of our identity. I think we all know that to be true. And that's, this is really not to make a judgment call on that reality or really to say anything else other than those are just the waters that we're living in. And so how we express ourselves sexually is a totally legitimate aspect of how we live out our purpose as God's storytellers. To be a follower of Jesus is to learn God's story and then learn how to tell that story with how we live. So when we think about the ways that we're currently living out and thinking about our own sexuality, however we would identify from that list I just gave, I think the most fundamental question on the table is, what story am I telling with my sexuality? And am I happy with that? You know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the flow of culture around us and the story of sexuality that Western culture is telling to the world. And as I said then, each of us has a choice whether we want that story to be our story or if we want to tell God's story. So let's just take a moment to identify, like, what is God's story? What is the story that God is trying to tell in the world? Uh, And I asked everybody to shout out one word that would sum up 
the way that God feels about the world, the way that he engages with the world, the way he expresses himself. God is fundamentally, at this point I was very relieved that somebody in the in the crowd shouted, love. Yes, absolutely, love. God is love. And those who live in God live in love. And so if God is fundamentally love, like what does that love look like in practice? If God is love as a headline, like what are the subheadings? How is that love demonstrated to the world? And we had all sorts of words like like faithfulness, about sacrificial love, about submission, about servant-heartedness, about generosity. We talked about um, how love is patient and kind. Um, and then I asked, um, so, like, you know, so much of um, God's love is directed at human beings. You know, how does God think about humans? Like, what does God think about humanity? And, and we kind of talked about how um, God always acts it, it to kind of dignify humanity, that he's proud of humanity, that he that he uh, that he loves and engages with us no matter who we are and what we've been. To. And so so all, all of this to say, like. That there was a latent knowledge of God's story in the room. People knew what God's story was. It was a story of love towards humanity, that God so loves the world that he sent his only son. And when we're talking about the story that God is trying to tell in the world, that is the story. It is the story of a loving God who loves humanity and who has trusted and commissioned humanity to show that love to the world. A loving God who has asked us to tell that story of love to the world with our actions and with our words. But the problem is that fundamentally we cannot tell God's story and culture's story at the same time. We cannot have a foot in both camps here because culture's story about sex and God's story about sex are pulling in opposite directions. They are completely incompatible with one another. When culture would tell us that sex is casual and disposable, our Bibles would tell us that Uh, that in God's story, sex is powerful, that sexual union has an incredible constructive or destructive power. Our God's story would tell about how sex can be an incredible force to bond and unite a couple and create deep intimacy, or how when sex is handled carelessly, it can introduce deep and lasting pain into someone's life. Now, I know I don't have to give any examples of this because Each of us can think of an experience, either from our own lives or the lives of a loved one, where that's proved to be the case. How about, um, uh, or how sex has this incredible constructive or destructive power, um, and we, we would be wise then to take our time when we head towards sex, to not rush in, to let the other aspects of our relationship mature and grow before introducing a sexual element in. Um, it's why I'm still a believer that sex should be saved for marriage, because that process of waiting, of preparing, of maturing, it can provide a safer context for sex to be at its best, a wonderful, constructive and uniting force. Or we could look at how uh, culture tells us that sex is an appetite, just an appetite. We kind of touched on this last week, that just like we have an appetite for food, that we need to satisfy, satisfy our appetite for sex, and how denying that appetite is harmful. I think our Bibles would actually grant us more dignity than that, and would encourage us to think about applying wisdom to our sexual appetites as well. To apply the same kind of wisdom that we would apply to our appetite to food, that if we just follow our appetite for food, we will get very fat and unhealthy. Like if it was me, I would just eat nothing but KFC. You know, equally, if we're constantly following our appetites to Pornhub with no thought about how that's forming us, we are going to get super unhealthy. 
You know, our Bibles would have us believing that we have the living God inside of us and that if we call out to him, he comes and helps us to live according to his wisdom rather than just following our animal instincts. That you and me, baby, are more than just mammals, that we're more than just animals, that we can be disciplined with our appetites, that we can apply wisdom to lead us to health. Or we could talk about how culture would tell us that you cannot be single and a fulfilled person, that you're no one until you're, hang on, it's the song that goes, and you're no one till you're somebody to someone. I've got a beef with that song. That it, like each of us is walking around like one half of a whole, that we need to find that other person to complete us, to make us whole. Now, that's the story that culture tells us, whereas our Bibles have loads of examples of folks who never found their soulmate and yet lived a wonderfully fulfilled life nonetheless. You know, the story of God is that we don't need another human to complete us, but that God is ready and waiting to meet us in our singleness and that intimacy can be found in community as well. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, it's like living in the fast flow of a river. And we simply cannot tell culture's story and God's story at the same time. We have to choose which one we want to tell. And of course, this comes right back to Jesus' interaction with those religious people that we talked about earlier, because we're at a real risk of living in a gap between what we say we believe and the way we live our lives. In a really fundamental way, if our sex lives and our sexuality look exactly like our friends around us who don't know God's story, if the way that we express ourselves sexually are identical to culture, then we're fundamentally missing an opportunity to tell a better story about life, about God and about sex. We're fundamentally not living up to our designed purpose to tell God's story in a world, in, in this world with our whole lives. <clears throat> You know, in that moment, we've chosen to tell culture's story instead of God's story. We've chosen to go with the flow rather than standing up in the flow of culture. And this is absolutely not a call to just go and live differently for differences sake. It is a moment to identify that cultural flow around us and say, I want my life to tell a better story than that. I want to tell a story, a better story than the story that people are just objects for my sexual gratification. I want to tell a better story than the story that... Uh, uh, one in three marriages ends in divorce. I want to tell a better story than the story that my sex drive is a mindless appetite that I'm powerless to master. I want to tell a better story than the story that sex has no mental or emotional or spiritual power to bond me to another person. You know, the takeaway questions today are, what story am I telling with my sexuality? Do I agree with the story that is being told around me about sex and the value of sex? Am I telling a story that it is, that is at all different from culture's story? To be a follower of Jesus is to take seriously that purpose, that design, that, we're, that we've been chosen as God's story, storytellers. It's time to wake up and admit the ways that we've been going with the flow of culture and telling culture's story. It's time to own up to the mess that we've sown in our lives and in the lives of others as we've told culture's story. And it's time to start deliberately telling God's story authentically through our lives. Now, for me, as we're talking about the flow of culture around us and going with the flow and trying to stand up against that flow, for me, that story has lived out in my life when it comes to my relationship with pornography. I'm sure it won't come as a surprise to anybody listening that this has been a battle for me. You know, I know it's been a battle for many people in our church and outside of our church as well. It's just the world that we live in. I know what it's like to fight this fight. 
I know what it's like to feel that pull into culture's story about sex. I know what it's like to be bombarded with messages from culture that actually pornography is good and a healthy outlet and it's harmless. And I've learned the hard way that that's a lie. I've learned the hard way that uh, because of the dysfunction that it's sown into my own heart. You know, if you find yourself today after listening to this message in a place where you're convicted that the way that you're expressing your sexuality is somehow outside of God's story, if you're feeling convicted that maybe you're in a place where you've been telling culture's story rather than God's story, I just want to put my hand up and say, I'm there with you too. But I'd also like to say that one of the most powerful things that our Bibles would say to us on this is that it is never too late to stand up in the flow of the river. It is never too late to identify the ways that we've gone with the flow. It's never too late to start to start telling a different story with our lives. I want to finish today with just a little thought that I think is really, really important. It's really simple, but if you take nothing else away with you, I'd like you to take this. Uh, We read earlier on what God said when he blessed humanity. He said, so God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Just take a moment to consider how much must how must God feel about us to give us that purpose? Like how much must he love us? How much must he believe in us? How much must he be championing us to give us that purpose? How much must God trust us to give us that responsibility of being his storytellers? You know, I think it's really easily, easy, especially when we're talking about sex, where we're, you know, where we're currently at with sex to think that God must hate us. He must be so ashamed of us. He must think that we're useless and rubbish. But honestly, that just couldn't be further from the truth. Our Bibles tell us a story that the, of a God who made us for a purpose and who hasn't abandoned us to that purpose. It talks about how he delights in us, how he delights in us so much that he chose us to be his storytellers in the world. He delights in helping us to live that out. He hasn't abandoned us in the struggle. You know, our Bibles tell us the story of how Jesus came into the world to be our example, to show us what it looks like when a human being lives as God's storyteller. He came to invite us to come and do the same, and he has sent the Holy Spirit to live inside us and help us to do it. So fundamentally, God loves us, trusts us, delights in us, and has chosen us to be his storytellers. And so how we respond to that trust, that love, is really up to us. You know, do we want to be God's storytellers? Do we want to tell God's stories with our lives? Or do we want to tell culture's story? Really, that's only a decision that each of us can make in our own hearts. So I hope this uh, series has been a blessing to you. Um, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of stuff that we could have said, probably should have said. You know, Em and I are certainly not at the end of our reading and learning on this subject. Um, But we do feel that this is what God would say to our community at this time. And probably not the last thing that we all say, but certainly the first thing. So God bless you and see you very soon.